0: Podcast one. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, today we have a very big fish that just got a lot bigger. Marty O'Halloran last week was appointed global CEO of DDB Worldwide. He's a veteran DDBer, 34 years with the company, which is a number I'd say 70% of the ad industry hasn't even got to an age yet. Marty has been chairman and CEO of DDB Group Australia and New Zealand. In fact, he's been based in Auckland, New Zealand for maybe five, ten years and keeps a very low profile, but not anymore. Speaking to some of his industry competitors in the past day, Most tip the hat to DDB in the region. Indeed, one rival holding company group exec I spoke to before this conversation said that of all the holding company agency brands, DDB has been by far the standout and most consistent performer for more than a decade. And in the face of a generally hostile corporate environment to creativity, DDB has been unfashionable and possibly belligerent. Uh, about the power of creative thinking and communication for business performance. So welcome, Marty. Congrats on the new gig. Um, first up, why the hell do you want to leave the safest and smartest place in the world right now? You've got to be crazy.
1: Uh, yep, some people do call me crazy. But uh, I think, as you said, you know, working for DDB for 34 years and uh, been given the opportunity to lead one of the world's most famous agency brands, it was something that I couldn't say no to. And uh, I'm super excited to do it. Uh, obviously a little bit nervous about uh, the impact of COVID, but, um, you know, we'll,
0: uh, we'll we'll manage that. And uh, yeah, I'm just super excited about the opportunity. So your plan is to stay in Auckland for a little while yet, or will the Omnicom private jet pick you up shortly? I hope to get up there in
1: October. You know, I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to getting up to New York and uh, starting to spend time with the the corporate team up there and uh, start sort of executing the plan I've got to, uh, you know, take DDB into the future, uh, you know, leveraging our great heritage but also making some change because uh, I'm not going there to do things the way it's always been done around the world and uh, definitely I'll take a lot of the learnings from Australia and New Zealand
0: where, We've uh, enjoyed a terrific run, uh, as you said, over the last uh, 10 years. So before we get to some of the tricky stuff, and I'm looking forward to that and the change that you might be looking at for DDB, New Zealand is, is probably, you know, considered the a world, at least one of the, the world leaders in, in managing COVID. What's the environment like there right now? I talked to some New Zealanders. For the record, I am a New Zealander, uh, so it's a good place, but... What's the feeling like? there? talking to some of the industry people. Literally, they say, yeah, we're meeting people, uh, we're having meetings, we're, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively comfortable after the, the very strident lockdown that New Zealand went through, uh, you know, a month ago. I tell you, um, we study human behavior a lot when we look at
1: uh, how we build a brand. And uh, I was convinced that a lot of our social behavior was going to change uh, permanently. And the, the minute the restrictions came off in New Zealand, everyone went back to hugging, kissing, uh, shaking hands, being very comfortable with being around a crowded uh, boardroom table. It was extraordinary. Um, and it just show, it shows you as humans, you know, our uh, the way we behave and act um, uh, doesn't change over time. And, uh, uh, look, it, it, everyone is still a bit nervous uh, as any other part of the world that this thing could come back again and we we look at what happened uh, recently in Victoria and go well that could happen in New Zealand Um, and obviously we're a bit nervous about what's happening in Sydney so I I think that's the world we're in now for you
0: know the the foreseeable future. But for anyone who doesn't know and I'm sure there'll be an international audience to this uh, session New Zealand went into an eradication strategy you had a very hard lockdown didn't you?
1: Yeah and look there was huge debate it had um a massive short-term impact on business. Uh, we had a lot of our clients like closed down for six weeks. Uh, you know, our retail clients, uh, clients like McDonald's. Uh, so again, you know, that, that had a, a, an impact. I think we were looking at 30, 30 to 40% decreases in media spend um, over that severe lockdown period. So, you know, some argued uh, very strongly that they should have uh, been uh, it uh, shouldn't have penalised business as much by sort of forcing that lockdown, but it did uh, contain the virus. So uh, I, I think there's um, a bit of a bounce back happening now. And uh, I look at our automotive clients, for example, uh, are having a bit of a boom at the moment in terms of people are back out spending.
0: I like your observations around consumer behaviour. We have a great debate uh, here at the moment about will people snap back to previous behaviours or is there something being changed forever in in, in values and how they spend, what they want to spend on, how they save. So let's get closer to home, Marty, uh, right now, which is the tricky stuff. Um, Forrester, I'm interested in in, in this forecast. You've got uh, in your new global role, I think about 10,000 people uh, in the company, 200 offices, 90 countries. Forrester forecast a few weeks back that uh, maybe up to or plus 100,000 agency jobs globally will go uh, by the end of 2021, 50,000 in the US and 50 something thousand globally. How likely is that sort of scenario for you? It's really interesting as I've looked uh, at the performance
1: of uh, the different parts of our global network. Uh, In Australia, for example, we're actually we've increased headcount through COVID. Uh, and part of that's been obviously winning some new business. Uh, and New Zealand, uh, we've had uh, only out of about 270 people, we've had to reduce by 10. So again, uh, we're top-performing businesses. Uh, an extraordinary fact I was looking at uh, the other day: uh, uh, Italy again, which went through a really severe lockdown. Um, again, they've grown through COVID, and uh, you know that that just blew me away. So. Uh, but you know we are seeing some markets where uh, you know the, the the cutbacks are more severe um, but nothing like the numbers that Forrester um, have predicted at all um, and you know I think I think what a lot of agencies are doing um, is looking hard at um, you know the the, the the core people that they need to take the business forward um, and there's no doubt we've had to become a little bit leaner a little bit more agile uh, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really confident about how we're going to bounce back from this um, uh, you know, uh, impact that we've all felt.
0: The ad contrarian, the infamous ad, ad contrarian Bob Hoffman was on the podcast a few weeks back and he said that he expected job losses of 30% for agencies. Now, a lot of broader industry talks about how COVID has fast-tracked a lot of change that was perhaps too slow, was coming and taking a long time to get there it is now completely fast-tracked everything in the agency business and, and amongst the communications industry. There was a lot of need for some 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 structural change and shift. Some would argue that it's over for, for, for many of the, the global advertising networks. Uh, we've heard that for a long time, but some, some big crimping coming on. Do you see COVID as something that's going to be a trigger for a significant shift in how the agency business at least operates globally? Absolutely, yes. Look, One of the reasons I've got this job is the way
1: we've reinvented the DDB brand across Australia and New Zealand, and um, uh, as you know, uh, beside the core DDB agency, we have many specialist agencies that we have uh, in interbrand, uh, Tribal, our digital agency, uh, Track, our data business, Mango, our uh, experiential and PR business. And again, that's enabled us to look at new sources of revenue, but also truly, truly deliver the sort of integrated campaigns that our clients need.
0: But Marty, that hasn't helped the holding companies. That most of them are diversified. They're still in trouble. It's, it's, it's. There's, it's the, it's the way they operate, how they operate, the pace. Um, that diversity was a good thing for probably you know up until five years ago, perhaps. But it hasn't. There's still some struggles.
1: Yeah, look, that's one of the reasons. Uh, I'm going uh, into this global role because they've seen that we've moved faster uh, than some of the other uh, parts of uh, our network. And again, uh, when I was uh, talking to John Wren, the CEO of Omnicom, one of the things, my observations, one of the things I've promised him is uh, I will bring together the best assets of Omnicom in ways that we've not seen before in uh, our major markets. Uh, And I know that's really excited him because... We've got the skills. We've got the consulting skills. We've got the technology, the data skills. It's quite extraordinary the the power that Omnicom's got. Um, but I think one of the challenges is how you bring people together, uh, people um, uh, from different P&Ls and different backgrounds. And uh, and again, that's one of my skill sets. And uh, as you said before, you know, uh, I keep a low profile, but um, I'm definitely the the puppet master sort of putting together amazing teams that will deliver for clients and I think that's what the holding companies need to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm excited about the change because I can just see so much opportunity around the world.
0: Well, the difference, though, you could argue with your what you've done in Australia and New Zealand is you are the chairman and you are the CEO and you control all those different companies and the turf wars you can manage. When you're at a global st- and on the global stage with a division of a holding company trying to convince, shall we say, peers in the group to do something you want to do that's not necessarily going to work for their short term KPIs, that's a bit of a difficult, ch- that's a different challenge, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, I remember actually when I was at university um, and I'd have a friend that would get into a fight, uh, my nickname was The Diplomat. Right. And my job was always to go, because uh, I'm was i a, a, a tall, strong bloke, and uh, I was always the one that went in and sorted out the fights and, and, and calmed the situation. And I think that's one of the skills I bring to this role because... Uh, I'm a people person and for me when you get the people together um, and we see the combined opportunity uh, everyone will do well from a financial point of view and you know sometimes it might be not great for us but uh, in the long run uh, you know we'll all, all benefit and um, you know again I think of uh, the way DDB works with Omnicom Media Group uh, here in Australia and New Zealand uh, We've got a terrific relationship. You know, they're separate PLs. Robert Morgan and I sit on the board of those uh, companies. Uh, but, you know, we work really hard at, at ways that we can work together and for mutual benefit. And most importantly, so our, our clients actually uh, do well of it, out of it.
0: When you talk about globally looking to bring some of those groups together that may not be in the Deadly network, what would be your priorities there? What what do they look like? Which, which sort of disciplines? You may have picked up in the media,
1: my first appointment uh, is a new CEO for North America and I've hired someone out of the Omnicom Precision Marketing Group. So he comes from a data technology background. And again, I think that's, that's my first signal in terms of change. I'm putting someone from a very different background into DDB. And so uh, how can we actually bring those skills together, it's actually by doing something bold like that um, and uh, already uh, I know a lot of the people in North America are uh, quite excited about a move like that because they know their business has to evolve and change uh, and, and I'm working closely with some of the other data and technology businesses and consulting businesses because I'm an open collaborator and uh, if we look at the bigger picture and the vision that John Wren's got for Omnicom uh, we have to actually bring the best uh, to the table, and uh, I will do that.
0: So, with that sort of appointment, is the intent then to have a, a, a data-driven CEO and DDB build capability within the DDB business, or is it about pulling that capability from the divorced, diverse Omnicom Group? We will have people inside DDB. Um,
1: you know, if you think about uh, department stores, where you have a Ralph Lauren store within. Uh, a David Jones, uh, you know, uh, department store. You know, I will have either Omicon brands within DDB, but also we will build.
0: The expertise where we need it um uh inside the the core ddb offering so this debate i'm fascinated to see what your position is now around creative and media because i know under i think it was under your watch probably 10 years ago ddb did try to build a media capability within the group i think you were possibly chairman then that didn't fly uh do they, can they, should they get closer and should they be within DDB? And that actually was a little bit before my time. Um, That's how old I am, Marty. There you go. But uh, look, my, my absolute position
1: is how we collaborate and um, we will see some examples and we've got one now in terms of the uh, model we've built for uh, J&J across Australia and New Zealand where the media team uh, and the creative team are all sitting inside the DDB building. Uh, But they are employees of OMG, you know, and um, uh, they're collaborating brilliantly. So again, uh, I believe the expertise that's needed in media and creative, uh, we need those specialist agencies, but uh, it's how we bring them together for clients. You know, I look at someone like McDonald's, obviously the agencies sit in their um, own Real estate, but uh, we've got a great rhythm of how we bring those agencies together to the benefit of someone like McDonald. So um, I've got no intention to launch media as a as a offering of DDB. I'll be absolutely leveraging the amazing skill that I've got in um, the OMG agencies.
0: What does the agency, what does the creative agency uh, sort of landscape look like in a couple of years? You've got obviously DDB. For instance, your your colleague Robert Morgan at Clemenger BBDO talks about. The, uh, the the inevitable consolidation of agency brands in this market is brought on by COVID, but beyond. Um, you've got big groups that are, some of the bigger networks are in trouble uh, and struggling, but there will be remain some. And then you've probably got on the, on the extreme end, you've got a whole lot of, uh, what do you call, sort of loose affiliations um, of small players that are getting together and doing smart, snappy stuff. In the middle is probably challenged, but in that Top end first, the network side, the agency network. Will we see some more brands go? Oh, look, I think we will.
1: Uh, I, I may be biased, but I think Omnicom's strategy is the right one where uh, John Wren has really backed the core uh, brands in terms of DDB, BBDO, and TBWA. And uh, I look around the world, the strength of those uh, networks uh Uh, are are, are our real point of difference where I think some of the other holding companies have been too flexible with their brands, uh, you know, changing them, creating too many specialist bespoke agencies uh, at the expense of their brands and that's why we see uh, a lot of the other holding companies in disarray with uh, uh, their strategy in terms of uh, creative agency brands. if you take if you take this part of the world you just look at the strength of BBO and DDB and TBWA and um, compared to a lot of the other agencies. So the way we back our brands I think um, uh, is brilliant and that's that's my mandate is to continually to grow and invest uh, the DDB brand and you know part of what I'll also be looking at is where are the acquisition opportunities of agencies that we think think from a cultural point of view, can join uh you know the um momentum that we've created uh with ddb around the world
0: what about the other end of the spectrum marty sort of that those those collectives of Of specialist ninjas, if you like, whether they be in creative or beyond data and so forth that are sort of aligning, but they're very independent and smaller and tend to be uh, higher level experienced uh, people, but they are smaller and more agile and they move around as collectives. Do you see that as also a growth area, even though it's not your your territory? You know, look, it absolutely is a growth area and, um, uh, you know, my various stints uh,
1: in the uh, industry organisations, you know, I I really encourage that entrepreneurial space. Spirit of some of those startups because, you know, they're the ones we want to acquire. Um, so, at the end of the day, you uh-huh. know, um, I love seeing them do well because I'll be out there saying, well, come and join us and you'll be rewarded uh, for the hard work you've done starting that business up. Um, I think we also have to have a, a model where obviously we want to be using the holding company expertise but we have to w- have one that can partner with some of these small startups and especially in the technology area, and innovation area. Uh, welcome them into the, um, the tent when we're uh, collaborating
0: with other agencies on behalf
1: of our clients. I'm not afraid of that at all.
0: Let's talk work from home now because you're a creative company and we'll get to some of the, the, the creative credentials uh, in, in a sec. But massive debate across industries, not just the the communications and marketing media sectors, about work from home. Do you think, as a creative company, can you build a culture outside the office? This is uh, you know a grand uh, discussion that's going on at the moment. What do you make of that one? As I said at the start, you know, human interaction is something we all
1: strive for, and especially through the creative process, physically being together is extremely important in my view. Having said that. I think we're all moving to the point where more flexibility uh, in terms of where people work is really important. Um, Again, the bigger the market, uh, we've done a lot of studies in London, New York, and even Sydney. Uh, You know, for the next couple of years, there's gonna be great fear of using public transport, for example. So uh, we have to look after our people and, you know, we've all adapted to using technology. And I think we need to have a balance of, you know, Uh, interaction together, but also using technology really well. Perhaps we will also get to the point where we have little satellite operations. If you think about Sydney, do we have uh, a small office on the North Shore or uh, eastern suburbs, for example, as well as our headquarters in Ultimo. just So those uh, that have to travel, um, you know, have spaces where they can work. Outside the core office,
0: or Byron Bay and Port Macquarie, for instance, that could that could be good. That'll work for me, Marty.
1: Well, exactly right. And look, I think I think again. Look, we were talking. We've just hired a um, a creative guy out of Portland to work for our Chicago office, and we said, no problem. You 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 keep working there as long as you deliver the, the ideas and you're prepared to you know come to Chicago when we need to. Uh, you know, you're welcome at DDB. So we wouldn't have done that a few years ago. And look, one other point I'd make again from some of the uh, research and insight we've done into our people: the the older you are, the easier it is to work from home because you're a bit more mature, you're more experienced. It's the younger talent that are new to the industry or even, you know, maybe only five to seven years in. They're the ones that really strive to actually have that social interaction uh, in terms of mentoring, in terms of just learning on the job and um, uh, experiencing creativity bouncing off the great minds around you. So I think that's one thing that we're really conscious of is a lot of senior people go oh great I'll be able to work out of my beach house and I won't have to sort of come into the office and you know that's easy for people like you and I but I think not necessarily for the younger ones. So we have to really think about the various levels of people in the agency.
0: Hey, I'm assuming that um, DDB sees some growth uh, out of Asia, geopolitics is really starting to uh, put some pressure on, on on global business because of what's going on between certain countries at the moment. Um, is there a risk there for your business in terms of where you see growth and particularly in perhaps Asia? Yeah, I, th- I
1: certainly think there is and uh, you look at what's happening in Hong Kong, uh, and, and 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 obviously China, uh, you know, again for some of the global brands, uh, navigating that's not easy. And if those brands uh, behave in a way that uh, you know the government don't like in some of those markets, um, you know, I can see major issues, and we've seen some examples of that. So, uh,
0: is it a risk for your business, Marty, in terms of where you see growth for DDB and what you do in the in some of those those markets?
1: No, it is a risk. Um, You know, our business in China is actually nothing like what it should be, in my opinion. Um, So I'm working with my Asian colleagues on a growth plan for China in particular. We're very strong in Hong Kong and Singapore and Malaysia uh, and India. But, um, you know, uh, China is a really tough market. It's hard to uh, find talent. Talent aren't as loyal as they are in other parts of the world. Uh, and obviously, you're also navigating a, a pretty tricky situation in terms of, um, you know, government regulation and control.
0: Switching gears a little, um, holding companies and brands generally are generally are racing to sort of tech centred customer experience, data, and e-commerce. You mentioned it earlier; they're following the money. Um, it's it sort of replacing. In many instances, some of those budgets are shifting from what might be seen as conventional advertising or communications into some of those. More, more, customer experience uh, programs. Um, has the marketing, has the marketing industry, has the marcom sector, uh, holding companies particularly, and agencies been too slow to adapt? As we see a whole bunch of companies like Salesforce and Adobe's, and that's that they've spawned a whole new subset of of uh, advisors and 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 agencies that execute on that. Has has the groups, the holding groups, been too slow? No, I think we have
1: been. And um, the reality is, a lot of clients. Uh, forming relationships with some of those martech uh operators and they're not actually equipped to deploy it to its uh, full advantage either and uh i know in this part of the world uh, i've got some really smart people within our organization within track uh our data business who are spending a lot of time helping our clients navigate how to make the most of some of those platforms and tools uh but i i think you're right i think um a lot of the briefs we're seeing globally uh, has got data and customer experience at the heart of it. Um, and, you know, we have to invest more in talent that um, can make the most of those tools. You know, the thing for me where a lot of uh, marketers have been a bit lazy, it's uh, have they got their data sorted? What is their technology platforms? And, you know, stop relying on automated programmatic mass delivery of crap to customers, um, how are we going to use that to truly personalize it and deliver it in a creative uh, way? And I think those that, that's the Holy Grail for me. If you think about the role we have to build brands from a mass point of view to create emotional connection, well in, in the context of delivery of some of these messages using technology, How do we actually deliver that in a creative way that it's truly personalized and builds a brand while also uh, delivers a sale?
0: It's a big challenge though when you have to blend man and machine or human I should say and machine because you know everyone's talking about even the holding companies many of them and probably uh, you may be doing this uh, big fast centralized production hubs. That use dynamic creative, which is essentially AI-fueled or, or uh, programmatically fueled creative delivery. Uh, thousands of messages. It's very hard to get creative when you've got um, those that sort of volume going. Is have you see, if you've got a solution for that? That's probably why you're a superhero. Well, that's right. Well, no, there is there is a balance. It's
1: the intersection of data, uh, technology, and creativity. And um, obviously, technology can still deliver you know creative solutions uh, that are built into the system. Uh, but again. We have to stop and go. We're talking to humans, and how are we actually going to create a, a, an emotional connection, even through a sale, uh, that actually is going to help drive uh, a, a different experience that will get someone to buy a brand? So uh, I don't have all the answers, but I, uh, for me, it's actually I've, I've got to set the vision and then say, to the smart people, the the, the data analysts, um, the, the creatives, the entire organisation and also the amazing technology people we have now. If I look at somewhere like DDB Sydney, for example, you know, probably about 45% of the people we employ are what I call data technology um, based talent, you know, which is very different to what DDB was 10 years ago. So, and I'm just amazed at what they can deliver. Um, you know, through through uh, the lockdown, obviously all car dealerships were closed. And uh, the way our guys from Tribal mobilized really quickly to develop uh, online sales tool where you could actually personalize a car, find out where it was and buy it sort of uh, uh, was extraordinary. And, you know, again, uh, the way we, and these guys were building it from home. That was recognised by Volkswagen globally because
0: we were, we just got on and did it, and did it fast because we had the people uh, that that could deliver that sort of solution. So you know, it's it's an interesting point because uh, DDB is is still called. Cool. You could still be perceived at least as an advertising agency in the in the traditional sense. What percentage of the Australian and New Zealand business, and what is it globally, where you're producing what could be described as conventional advertising whether it's online whether it's digital con- legacy media whatever you, um, advertising as we know it versus some of those other areas you're talking about what's the what's the split it's about 60 40 now so 60 would what you call
1: traditional and 40 would be sort of the newer um, uh, channels that we can use and and for me it's really important also the power of great storytelling is still there and you know when we launch new brand uh, film for uh, Westpac or for um, McDonald's or any of our other clients, you know, we can actually see the impact that has on how people feel about a brand, but also, uh, you know, how they buy that brand. So it's important we don't talk ourselves into, you know, some of those traditional ways of communicating with with consumers as dead because it's not. Um, And I think it actually puts the onus back on us to truly deliver creative that actually makes people feel something, you know, and make them it make make them act irrationally because they've got such a love or a connection with it with a brand. And, you know, even you would have brands that you'd think of and you go, Well, I know that's a premium that brand but I'll buy it because there's something about it that just makes me feel good. Probably the All Blacks
0: muddy. Well that's a great brand but um yeah, you're never going to change uh, on that one <laughs> yes, are you? Uh, no I won't move on that one. Um you, you talk about creative it's a good let's get to that uh, that that notion creative in a broader business industry context creative when you talk about it's still a bit on the nose to the hardcore numbers people uh you know the top top echelons of of business and and companies it's a bit fuzzy uh, it's still not quite there uh how do you how do you see that get some more credibility i guess or cachet further up the food chain further up the companies
1: you know what's the definition of creativity you know uh i, I was talking to someone the other day uh as a young uh, account guy, you know, I worked with uh, my McDonald's marketing team and and we came up with uh, – we were the first country in the world to do uh, value meals. Well, I heard you might have been part of the crew that sort of might have invented that. Is that true? Well, there's a rumor that, and that may be true. But, um, but I use it as but, an example because, you know, I knew so much about the business. I was able to think about a creative solution – to get people to, to buy more products even though they were discounting it. Now, you know, it's 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 thinking like that. Uh, that's a creative solution as much as uh, a beautiful 60-second brand ad is. But coming back to your main point, you know, for me, you know, I I, I focus as much on the uh, effectiveness awards as I do the pure creative awards. And um, we had a CEO uh, here in New Zealand uh, of, of the local... Um, uh, lottery uh, uh, account that we've got, and uh, you know the investment in brand in a lottery because that, that's all about how people feel and the and the imagining uh, the opportunity to 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 win a jackpot, and he was questioning the amount of money being invested in advertising and um, you know all the analysis that was done. Uh, you know, a couple of months later, he had to come and say, like. I can see now, if we stop investing, we are not going to grow this business and sell the dream. And I think for me, it's that onus we've all got to be really disciplined about the process to drive the creative idea, but then also measure its effectiveness. And um, again, you you present that to a CFO, he's not going to take your budget away. But if it's some willy-nilly crazy idea that isn't really thought through, uh, isn't measured, well, you can understand why a CFO will go, I'm reducing your budget this year. So the onus is on to uh, marketers and also agencies to actually be super disciplined. And that's, you know, you know, DDB in London invented strategy planning. You know, uh, from my point of view, again, if you look at the, the firepower we've got from a strategy planning point of view and the, the time we put into um, getting that brief right, uh, you know, uh, Again, you have no problem with people investing in um, uh, great creative.
0: Well, let's go to strategy planning. Strategy planning for, for me, you know, I've, I've covered the industry for way too long. It used to be big. It's lost a little bit of its mojo, at least in profile. What's happened to strategy planning?
1: Well, I don't think it's been valued enough by a lot of agencies. And uh, that's been an area where they've, they've cut back. And I've always believed in the power of uh, strategy planning. Often I think what happens is procurement attack Planning and and don't see the value in it and they, they, they focus more on the creative resources and the account management so uh, again what you'll see you know if you look at DDB Sydney you uh, know we would have probably the biggest strategy planning department um, uh, in the market and, and again it's the discipline that, that 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 delivers for us to give us a point of difference so uh, uh, again actually and I must say some of the best planners are the good creatives I've got to say and um, it's how the, the creative leadership work with the planners to really def, you know, hone, hone down a, uh, a brief uh, is where the magic happens as well. And I think if you spend a lot of time getting that right, well, then the creative process is much easier and you're not doing rounds and rounds of creative to work out what the strategy should be.
0: Does strategy uh, strategy planning apply to the non-advertising part of the business or, or is it more about the creative and the campaign and the execution? Can it be applied to some of that data and technology areas you talk about?
1: Absolutely. Like, you know, um, again, if I look at some of the data planners that we've got that actually work with the brand planners, um, uh, you know, in... Um, in both uh, Australia and New Zealand, over over the, the, the lockdown, we've won the supermarket business. Coles in uh, Australia and New World in in New Zealand. And again, I've just watched uh, the data planners, the digital planners, and the brand planners working together. Um, it's extraordinary mm. what we can do. And you know, really pulling pulling apart that experience when you're going into a retail environment, really understanding the different. Um, uh, uh, catchments you're in the the types of people that are uh, going uh, different times of the day, so you put all that together. And importantly, you know the 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 the, the media strategy guides as well. So again, if you if you create that hub of the right strategic thinking, um, again, that's incredibly powerful.
0: We're going to wind up soon, but not yet. The the uh, I just had a thought there, Marty, thinking about. Your appointment in the U.S., um, your new CEO of DDB in the U.S. Is, is sort of being data-led. Is this a signal from the new boss to the rest of the world and other markets that this is where you want it to go? And so if country heads, market uh, agency heads don't start skewing or paying more attention and delivering on that, um, you won't be a happy man? Close to London, um,
1: DDB Australia New Zealand is the is the most highest performing uh, agency group in, in DDB and um, they all have seen what we do and they, they know how we've built our business and I've got to say I'm not getting resistance. Everyone is very excited the fact that um, I'm, I'm attacking this with a, a, a broader vision for DDB. Um, you know we've got some standout agencies in the network, um, I look at our operation in Paris um, I look at some of our South American uh, operations in Brazil and Colombia. So, you know, again, a lot of our agencies are doing it, but others are behind. And, um, you know, this is a signal. And as I said earlier, the uh, appointment of uh, a, a data technology-driven CEO for DDB North America is radical. So, so again... Um, Everyone's very excited about that, um, uh, and uh, they they
0: desperately want to be on the journey. The next question then is: In other markets, other other operations, can people who don't have a data background reinvent their capabilities, or do you need those sorts of figureheads at the top to drive uh, the change you're looking for?
1: Again, I didn't have it personally. I came through a traditional um, background, but uh, you know, my my vision and drive has always been to get the smartest people around me. So uh, we've gone out and recruited and uh, hand-selected the best talent, uh, whether it be experiential data or from a technology point of view. Um, we've got I've got a guy called David Rennie who's running uh, Tribal, who who came from Deloitte Digital. You know, so we 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 go out and spend a lot of time looking for the talent that we need to broaden our skill base. And again, he's been doing a sensational job.
0: It gets us into the final point around consulting firms and as you say Dave was with one of the big consulting firms Um consultants are they creative and what do you make of their, their their trajectory now they were a big they were considered a big threat at one stage to to, to agencies and groups we see in Australia huge numbers of people being offloaded uh at the moment through, because of COVID from the consulting firm six seven hundred eight hundred people out of Deloitte's and PwC massive massive cuts what do you see of them uh in your uh turf uh and then come in the next couple of years I
1: think my experience is that um when it comes to uh, consulting, you know, business strategy, you know, they are excellent at what they do. Uh, when it comes to taking that into a creative environment or a creative execution, that's where they fall down and, and that's where we our strength lies. Um, so I think, you know, again, there's opportunities for management consultants and agencies to partner better than we do right now. Uh, and again, I've had some conversations with some consulting firms. Which, one, which ones, Marty? I, I can't tell you uh, right now. I'm not surprised. There's some stuff I'm working on there which will surprise people because, uh, again, uh, they are in awe of our creative capabilities. And the reality is the great creative people don't want to go and work for a, a consulting company and work in that environment. Um, my expertise is working with amazing creative people and creating an environment to nurture them, to protect them, to give them the ability to do what they do. Often in those corporate environments with consulting, that that works against that environment. And so, you know, I'll be doubling down on um, elevating the role of creativity and, you know, attracting and looking after my creative talent.
0: That, uh, that, those alliances or whatever it is you're talking about with consulting firms, is that uh, in Australia New Zealand or is that a global uh, conversation? Uh, it's a global conversation, yeah. How long, go, how long do we have to wait to see what you're up to? I'll just um, watch this
1: space. But um, again, you know, it, it comes back to what I said before that, you know, the great agencies are great collaborators, uh, whether it be management consultants, whether it be media agencies, uh, different parts of the client organisation, you know, we have to be open, we have to listen, we have to collaborate, we have to create new and different teams. Um, you know, a lot of our clients have got big technology teams, you know, and, um, you know, how to we how do we actually connect with them? A lot of our clients have gone agile, so they're, they're working in very different ways. So how does an agency sort of get in and help in an a agile environment? We're naturally agile the way we're, we work, but again, how do we actually help them uncover the opportunity and inject our creative firepower
0: at the right times in the process um, in an agile environment. The final thing. This is my gift to you. This is the bit where you can talk about why DDB uh, in this market has been such a consistent powerhouse. We've touched on it through the conversation, but to sum it up, why has uh, DDB been so strong?
1: Well, look, I'm known as someone who uh, drives people and culture uh, first. And uh, our global staff satisfaction surveys, again, uh, Australia and New Zealand are in the top five of uh, 200 offices. So it's a culture that I deeply care about the people that work for me. Um, There's no bullshit with me. There's no politics. I create an environment uh, where my senior people uh, are loyal. Um, Andrew Little, who runs uh, Australia now for me, is uh, 20 years um, uh, Justin who runs New Zealand's 10 years and, and that's similar with a lot of the senior management so if it starts at that level uh, we create a, a, a fantastic platform for our people to be truly creative and we deeply care about the quality of our creative product and again that's part of the DNA of DDB and you know, I always focus on the people first and the quality of our product and always the profit then comes. Uh, if you worry too much about profit uh, up front, um, you, you, you're not going to do the right thing and uh, that's been our formula uh, and uh, you know, I was lucky to spend some time with a, a professor at Harvard called Jim Heskett who wrote a book called The Service Profit Chain and um, uh, I spent a lot of time studying how you create an environment and a culture uh, that will deliver against uh, what I've, I've been talking about. And that's why we've seen that consistent growth and we've been the fastest growing sort of uh, global network, as you were saying, um, in the australia New Zealand region over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, to be growing during uh, COVID is just remarkable, you know, in my book and um, and that's only because of the great people I've got.
0: But just, uh, just out of images, I've got to ask you, because it's talked about a lot, what, everything you talk about there in terms of culture before, before profit and so forth, that is not the perception of the holding companies. They are seen as far more ruthless. They're seen as sort of financial engineers, if you like, and they're w- playing to a Wall Street's tune. Um, there's a, how, do, how do you explain that, you've, <laughs> that difference between how you operate inside a holding company and the perception of the holding companies? And is it fair that they like that? No, I don't think it's fair. It's a, it's a perception that, that does does sit there. And, um, you know, f-
1: for me, you know, DDB has been successful because it encourages entrepreneurial leadership. And, you know, the, of course, if, you're, if your revenue is in decline because you've mismanaged relationships and you've lost clients, the holding company will go, well, you have to cut costs. But, uh, you know, uh, for me, it's about finding the right leadership that believes in what I'm talking about because... You know, that means you're in a growth environment, which means you can invest. You can reward people. You can actually spend money uh, on, on your people. So, uh, you know, uh, basically that sets you free. Uh, and, and so, you know, if that's your philosophy, uh, the holding companies are amazing. You know, they will let you in, uh, let you reward your people. They're very generous. So, uh, again, I think... Um, I, I think you're probably referring to some of the other holding company groups that I think haven't had a clear strategy with what they're doing with their brands and how they're uh, directing and incentivizing their people um, and uh, you know I'm just really uh, excited that uh, someone like John Renner at Omnicom has sort of got the faith in me to uh, continue that journey in, in, in DDB and all he said to me was If you can do what you've done in Australia New Zealand uh, around the rest of the network, uh, we're going to have a great time together.
0: He'll like you. He'll like you more than he does now, exactly. I might even
1: get a ride in the the corporate jet. You never know. (laughs)
0: That's right. Final bit of trivia. Allegedly, you're an elite champion rower. Is this the case? Yes, that is the case. Was that 100 years ago or recently? That wasn't recently. No, that was in the uh, the mid-'80s,
1: and uh, I started that at school and ended up representing Victoria and then Australia. And it was a wonderful experience. And um, I often call myself now, and I've done a lot of coaching uh, both in Australia and New Zealand over the years as well. And um, I often refer to myself as the coach these days because my co- uh, my job is to, is to coach the amazing talent coming into our business and help them achieve stuff that they never imagined they could in their careers. And uh, I go home at night just so satisfied when I see my young talent, you know, doing those amazing things and getting the rewards for it.
0: Martin O'Halloran, great talking. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how things play out and what you do with the business globally. Uh, we're watching from afar. Stay safe, uh, and I'm sure we. Well, let's hope we can talk again in maybe six or twelve months to see what's happened since. Um, best of luck. I'd love that, and uh, yeah, thanks for your time and your support. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.